0: The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Our reading today is in Matthew, uh, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way.
1: Man, you can be seated. Well, this is the second week of Advent, this season on the church calendar that marks off the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. And last week, we, we began um, to look at the book of Matthew together, and we were focused on the theme of waiting. And in one way, uh, that's what Advent is all about. It's about waiting, it's about longing, it's about anticipating Last week we saw that in the in the opening of his book, Matthew takes us into the waiting for the Messiah, the long expected one to come. And how with the first coming, with his first advent, that word means arrival. Okay, advent just means arrival. With his first arrival, his first coming, Jesus at his birth, Matthew was telling his original readers, he's telling us the waiting is over. It's over. And yet, as we saw last week, while in one sense the waiting is over, it's also in another sense, not yet, over. We live in a time of waiting, of waiting for the return of Jesus, the second advent when he will come and fully and finally redeem and restore all things. Well, this week, as we remember the theme of waiting, we add to it this theme of trusting trusting and i wonder this morning who who do you trust why do you trust them what do you trust them for when do you trust and are there any limits to your trusting See, because the whole point of our passage today is that Jesus Christ, the the Son of God, the Eternal One who took on flesh at the Incarnation and came and dwelt amongst us, Emmanuel, this passage we'll call Him, the whole point of this passage is that Jesus is Savior and you're to trust in Him. You're to trust in Him. Even more specifically, you're to trust Him for salvation. And then even more, you're to trust him moment by moment. I don't know if you realized it or not when it was read, but our passage today opens with a problem. Matthew says in verse 1 that he's telling us about the, the birth of Jesus. This is how it went down, he says. Mary turned up pregnant. And that's not in and of itself a problem. The problem appears when we learn that she was betrothed to this man named Joseph and they had never slept together. So there's a problem. Now, if you've read Luke's account of the gospel, you'll know, maybe remember, that Mary is, she's probably about four months along now when Joseph finds out about this. We know that because Luke tells us she had gone to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. Luke also tells us that the angel Gabriel had appeared to Mary while she was betrothed, but before she became pregnant, before she visited Elizabeth, this angel appeared to Mary and told her that she would indeed become pregnant, not by natural means. She was a virgin after all. No, she would become pregnant when the Holy Spirit came upon her. She would become pregnant. Pregnant, the angel tells her in Luke chapter 1, with the Son of the Most High, a holy one. That his name would be Jesus, the angel tells Mary. He's the Son of God who would become king. We're not told that Mary shared any of this information with Joseph. Instead, Luke tells us she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth. Because the angel had told her that Elizabeth was pregnant also, albeit by natural means. And Luke tells us, Luke records, that she stayed with Elizabeth for three months. Now she's back in Nazareth. Probably about four months along, she's starting to show. And Matthew tells us before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and that Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He resolved. He decided. Like his mind was seemingly made up. It was over. I mean, can you imagine what was going on inside of his head. Of course you can. He hadn't seen her for three or four months. He hadn't been with her ever in that way. They're saving themselves from marriage in the biblical way, and here she is with the baby bump. At this point, we're told they were betrothed. We don't use that word in our modern-day language. It actually means more than what we mean, when we use the word engaged, in fact, a betrothal was so binding that Matthew already calls Joseph Mary's husband here in verse 19. They were already legally bound together. And what that meant was that infidelity at this stage of their relationship was, would actually be considered adultery, which would mean that, that Mary could be stoned to death for what was going on here. On the surface, Joseph has every, every moral and emotional and legal right to end this thing, and he resolved to quietly. Most likely because he loved her. <laughs> Didn't want to cause her undue public shame, desiring perhaps to preserve as, as much of her dignity as possible. While also drawing a line because he was a just, he was a righteous man, we're told, drawing a line at moving forward into marriage. But, verse 20 begins, he must have decided to sleep on it because what we read of here next is the angel of the Lord appearing to Joseph in a dream. And the, Joseph, the, the angel comes to Joseph and says, Listen, I can explain. I can explain. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And it's here, it's right here, that Joseph gets drawn into the mystery of the incarnation. Look closely what the angel says. Says first, he says, Don't don't be afraid to marry her, Joe, for or because she hasn't been unfaithful. No, quite the opposite. She's been nothing but faithful, not just to Joseph, but to God. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. No, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This child has been miraculously conceived. That's hard to get our heads around, isn't it? Miracles typically are. I can't make that any easier for us. A miracle, by definition, is something that cannot be explained by natural or scientific means. And this was a miracle. A supernatural act of God the Holy Spirit, which we cannot get our heads fully around, but rather believe by faith. Faith. Frederick Dale Bruner in his commentary on Matthew speaks of this miraculous conception in this way. He says, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings Jesus' birth to inside Mary. The one who makes Jesus alive in this particular human life. Who makes Jesus a real person in her and to her. Don't be afraid to marry her, Joe, the angel says. This child has been miraculously conceived. That's the first thing the angel tells him. The second, you should call his name Jesus. We talked about this name last week. It's a name that means Yahweh saves. You shall call his name Yahweh saves because he will save his people. And and, and not from the physical oppression of the Romans, like many of them were expecting, many Jews at that time were anticipating, but instead it says he will save his people from the spiritual oppression of their sins and the consequence of death, which is the wages of sin. And then in verse 22, Matthew, he he inserts a little commentary here. We'll come back to this, but Matthew tells us in verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then we read, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Look, Joseph heard and he obeyed. He heard the word of God through the angel, and he did as the angel had commanded him. He took his wife He married her. Oh, man, how I wish I... I, I'd love to have heard the conversations between the two of them at this point. Can you imagine these conversations as they start comparing angel notes, right? This is what the angel told me. Really? This is what the angel told me. Putting it all together. I mean, he he told me we're to call him Jesus. He told me the same thing. Wow. Wow. He told me he's going to be called the son of the most high. He's going to be given the throne of David. He's going to be called holy and the son of God. Wow, Mary. Wow. You know what else he told me? He told me that he's going to save us from our sins. Joseph heard and obeyed and he took his wife But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Matthew stresses here their continued celibacy until after his birth. In other words, make no mistake, this was a miracle. Make no mistake about it. It It's a unique and miraculous conception. And he called his name Jesus. That's the story. The the true story. And the whole point of this true story is for us to realize that Jesus is Savior and we're to trust him. And more specifically, we're to trust in Jesus for salvation. And even more, we're to trust in Jesus moment by moment. First, we're to trust in Jesus for salvation. If you double-click there on verse 22 and you know what opens up when you do that? Isaiah chapter 7 and 2 Kings chapter 16, that's what opens up. These two Old Testament passages are the the background for Matthew telling us all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. The prophet, in this case, is the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, the one who originally spoke these words not to us, not to Mary and Joseph, not to first century Jews, but to King Ahaz some 700 years prior to Jesus' birth. Now stick with me for a little bit, all right? I don't expect you to know all this, but real quick, high-level biblical history lesson. Ahaz was a young king over Judah, the southern kingdom of God's people after it had split into two. And there was a problem. At this time, Judah was under threat. The nation of Judah was under threat. Israel, the northern kingdom, had actually joined forces with Syria and were coming against Judah. They were going to attack Judah. Ahaz, we're told, was shaking with fear. That's what Isaiah 7 tells us. He was shaking in his boots. He was scared. But God sent the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz to tell him God's word of, don't be afraid. I got this. He was calling Ahaz to respond in faith. He was calling Ahaz to trust in the Lord. In fact, Isaiah 7 verse 9, God says to Ahaz through Isaiah, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And then he offered Ahaz a sign that everything would be okay. It's tricky to dissect everything that's going on back there in Isaiah, but Ahaz rejects the sign. He refuses to ask for a sign under the the guise of not wanting to test God, but really it was a cover for his lack of faith, a failure to trust, to trust in the Lord, to trust him to do what he promised to do. In fact, in his failure to trust God, Ahaz actually went and placed his trust elsewhere with the Assyrians instead. Building an alliance with the Assyrians, this powerhouse of a nation over here with military might, enticing them with gold to go attack Judah's enemies and therefore save Judah and deliver them. And then we read in Isaiah 7 that even though Ahaz refused to ask for a sign, he refused to hear the word of God and trust and obey, we might say. In spite of his failure to trust, in spite of his failure to respond in faith, God gives him the sign anyway. Saying to Ahaz, through Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Like, this is the sign that I will do what I said I will do. This is the sign that it's all me, God says, doing the doing, This son, this Emmanuel, before he's old enough to know the difference between good and evil, God is going to destroy these two enemies that are coming against you. But then also, because of Ahaz's refusal to trust in the Lord, because of Ahaz putting his trust in Assyria instead of Yahweh, days of destruction would come upon Judah. Horrible days. Days that had not come since the kingdom divided in two to begin with. And if you keep reading in Isaiah, he talks of Assyria coming, delivering initially, but then also becoming like a plague of flies, swarming around like bees in the land, like a raging river overtaking its banks, sweeping away through Judah too. Now, most scholars believe that this prophecy given to Ahaz through Isaiah, specifically the prophecy of Emmanuel, most scholars believe for it to have a double fulfillment A provisional, more immediate fulfillment to Ahaz in Isaiah's day, most probably dealing with Isaiah's son, who we will meet in chapter 8 of Isaiah, but then, and more applicably to us, this future fulfillment, as Matthew quotes it, pertaining to Jesus. Look, I realize that's a lot, right? Right? This is the context for the original words here we find quoted in Matthew chapter 1. It's a lot, it's complex, but the point is actually super simple. Here's the point. Maybe we can call it the Emmanuel principle. The point is simple. We're to trust God to deliver. We're to trust God to save. We're not to be like Ahaz who failed to trust the Lord and instead looked to someone else, bringing upon himself and his people eventual ruin and destruction. No, we're to trust in the Lord. We're to trust in Yahweh. You're to trust in Jesus, the one whose name means Yahweh saves. See, when you go back to Matthew chapter 1, remember what the angel of the Lord said to Joseph. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now when Matthew's original readers heard that, Followed by Matthew's commentary that this all took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And then the quoting of Isaiah, the whole point of quoting Isaiah 7 is to draw all of this into mind and cause the reader, cause you to ask, who am I trusting in? And even more specifically, who am I trusting in to save me? to deliver me from my sins. Make no mistake, friends, Christmas has become about, Christmas has become about a lot of things, hasn't it? Uh, Joy, merriness, awesome decorations on the house. Yes, I'm still thinking about the candles. Um, Meals, friends, family, peppermint lattes, you know, gift wrappings, stocking stuffers, whatever, good things. But all kinds of things that our culture has kind of stuffed into the meaning of, of Christmas. Christmas at its core, this passage tells us, at its origin, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Christmas is about solving our sin problem. Christmas tells us there's only one way to solve our sin problem, and it's by trusting in Jesus. Jesus is Savior. He came to save people from their sins. He came to save you from your sins. And so the question to ask yourself this morning is, do I trust in him? Look, if you're here and you're a Christian, I know the answer is yes. In fact, the way you became a Christian is by the answer to that question, becoming yes. But some of you are here today, and and maybe you're new to church, you're kicking the tires on this thing, or you've been away for a while, and maybe you're trying to come back, or let's be honest, like some of you are here today because there's a lot of cute kids up here singing this morning, and that's really why you're here. You're just enduring with me, right? You're here for the singing. You're here for the kids, And maybe you're not yet a Christian, and therefore you have sort of a unsettled feeling inside of you, an inner disruption that tells you you you, you know that you're not right with God, or you're not sure, or you're, you're you're certainly not certain. Like if something happened to you this week, it's just like I, you're like I don't know, I I'm not sure. And what I want you to hear first and foremost is I. I remember exactly what that feels like. I've been there. I remember exactly what it feels like. I remember thinking there, there are some things that I do, that um, there are some things that I, and I things that I think or think about, and I know they're not pleasing to the Lord. I know it. Uh, there are some things that I don't do that I should do. That I know that probably God probably want, He wants me to do those things, and I don't do that. Is it's all sin? It's sin. I remember thinking, oh man, there's pride in my heart and there's selfishness in my heart and there is like this, this inner like self-sufficiency. I can take care of everything on my own, including my relationship with God or whatever. If you feel any of that this morning, that's the Holy Spirit prompting you. The, the Christianese word, the way we say it around here is that's the Lord convicting you. He's prompting you. You're like King Ahaz under threat. Maybe even like Ahaz, shaking with fear, if you're honest with yourself. And God is saying to you today don't be afraid. I got this. Trust in my son. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus for salvation. Listen, it's the greatest Christmas gift ever. Salvation from sin. Forgiveness of it all, all your past sin, all your present sin, even all of your future sin. This, this gift, it's not like the loose pieces of candy down at the bottom of your stocking. You know what I'm talking about? You get like the lint stuck to them, but you eat them anyway because it's Christmas. No, this is like the big one under the tree. The the biggest gift ever under the tree, beautifully wrapped, giant bow on top, and it's got your name on it. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do to receive it is trust in Jesus. And you might be here thinking, gosh, I don't know if I can't. I mean, miracles, virgin birth, I mean, pfft. This is the same Jesus, right, that he lived the perfect life. He, didn't do, he never did anything wrong, you might be thinking. and uh, Yeah, he's the one that, they, I can understand why they might kill him. People kill people for all kinds of reasons. But then he rose again from the grave. I mean, this is all, I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I can trust in all of that. Well, here's some even better news. The trusting that I'm talking about here isn't first and foremost about your initiative. It's not about you mustering up enough willpower and mental fortitude and positive thinking to trust just right. No, it's about responding to God's initiative in you. I mentioned the Holy Spirit and his convicting work in us just a little bit ago. Actually, I mentioned the Holy Spirit even earlier when I quoted that guy talking about the Holy Spirit bringing birth to Jesus inside of Mary. Do you remember that? Listen to how that same theologian takes all of that and relates it to you. He says, it is the Holy Spirit and not human initiative that brings Jesus into personal life, then Mary's, now ours. When Jesus Christ comes to anyone in history, Even in his advent coming to Mary, it is always the work of the Spirit, not of human preparation and enterprise. Every conversion is a virgin birth. God brings Jesus. And so Jesus brings God to human life. He brings him to you. What Bruner is saying here is that every conversion, without disrespecting and making light of the virgin birth in Mary, all right, what he's saying here is that every conversion, every person who turns from sin and trusts in Jesus for salvation, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that anyone is in this room this morning and says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he died on the cross for my sins and rose again to new life. That is a miracle if you believe that a miracle that God works in us, all we do is respond in faith. Faith that he actually creates, births in us by his Holy Spirit. And from that faith, we trust in him. We trust in Jesus for salvation. Will you trust in him? Even today, I mean, who else are you going to trust to deal with your sin problem? Yourself? Your family? Your achievements, your moral do-goodery? Your comparative goodness with respect to others, which is just another word of saying your pride? <laughs> your ability to please or appease God? It'll never be enough the Bible says. Only Jesus can save. Trust in him. And then from there, what those of us who have trusted in Jesus for salvation have learned or are learning, or in some cases still need to learn, is that we're also to trust in Jesus moment by moment. It's not one and done. It's not a one-time trusting you and I are faced with the, with the trust question every week, every day, every hour, every moment. Who do you trust? Is it Jesus? What do you trust him for? And are there any limits to your trust? See, Emmanuel is not just a principle that we apply to our initial salvation, trusting Jesus to deliver us like Ahaz should have but didn't. Emmanuel is also a title. It's a description of who Jesus is. He's God with us. This is a theme that Matthew seems uniquely interested in. In fact, three times in Matthew's book here, we're told that Jesus is with us. First here at the beginning which we've been talking about but then in the middle unsuspecting location perhaps Matthew 18 Matthew tells us that Jesus is with us to purify his church and then famously at the end when Jesus commissions the disciples and says go go make more disciples what does he say? Behold I am with you always until the end of the age. And Advent is an incredible time for us to reflect upon this. That Jesus has come. He was born to Mary. He's come. He's Emmanuel. He's come. Also, because he's Emmanuel, he's with you. He's with us. And not only has he come, not only is he with you, He always will be. He came as Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel. And he will always be Emmanuel. God with us. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. And that's just not some, you know, that's not some pie in the sky, nice, power positive thinking saying. It's real. Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's with you, Christian, every week, every day, every hour, every moment. And you're to trust in him, moment by moment, until he returns. You're to trust in him, even in the waiting. He's with you. Even when he seems distant, he's not. He's Emmanuel. He's with you. When suffering comes, when darkness falls over you, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, David writes in Psalm 23. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Church, trust in the good shepherd whose name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. When you're battling sin, even when you lose a battle, he's with you. He doesn't desert you. He doesn't pack his bags or kick you out of the house. When you belong to Jesus, you never have to spiritually couch surf. He's with you. He's always with you. Trust in him. When your marriage gets hard, I didn't say if, I said when. Who are you trusting? When when parenting challenges go to a new level, who are you trusting? When your parents get old and are aging and you're starting to see sort of the end and having to deal with a whole bunch of that stuff, he's with you. Who are you trusting? Look, I'm not saying we don't need help from others. We do. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, our church family, our friends, our literal family, counselors, pastors, yes and amen to all of that, but ultimately, and then maybe even underneath all of that, where is your trust? Is it in them to figure it all out and make it all better for you? Or is it in Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus or... Are there limits to what you'll trust him with? Will you trust him only if he answers you in the way you want him to? Will you still trust him if the answer he gives you is no or if he doesn't seem to give you an answer at all? When old wounds surface again, when you're lonely, when you're bored, when you're tempted, when you're broke and something else breaks again... (laughs) when work is hard, when, it's, when it gets stressful, when, when you're being talked about, when you're being wrong, when you're scared, when you're anxious, heavy laden, overburdened, burnt out, when your friendships are tested or some of them end, when persecution comes. I didn't say if, I said when. Will you trust him? When you look around the craziness of this world and all the uncertainty and all the unpredictability when everything seems so fragile and you're tempted to shake with fear, trust in him. Trust in Emmanuel moment by moment. And you might be asking, okay, great, how? (laughs) How do you do that? right? Well, how did Joseph do it in the text? He heard the word of God, and he responded in faith. That's how we trust too. We hear the word of God. You're doing it right now, this morning. You can do it on your own too. You can do it with friends. You can do it with people in this room. You open up this thing, and you read, and you hear, you hear God speak. He's with you, He's near and he speaks and and part of what he says is I'm right here. No need to fear. I got this. Trust in me. Trust in him, church. Trust in Emmanuel. Moment by moment, he's come. He's with you. And he always will be until he comes again. And even then, on into eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending him as Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you that he is with us and always will be. Thank you for uniting us together with him as believers, that we are in him. He is in us. We are with him. He is with us. And therefore, there's nothing more for us to search for beyond a deepening of that which is already ours. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this
0: audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.